What, what actually precipitated this evening's program was a couple of conversations that we had at one of the PacWest meetings over in Scottsdale six months ago. And I had heard Joe speak on what is one of his favorite subjects, metric fasteners. And we discovered that the world was slowly starting to make some changes in metrics and that I sort of looked at it for Duncan Bolt as an exposure. We got in a part, I got involved in a subject at Duncan Bolt because we had a test report rejected because our supplier was certifying it to the ISO and the customer's print was to the DIN. And of course, nobody at our place actually read or looked at the test report, but uh, it pointed out to me that there were some manufacturers and importers who were starting to, I believe, you know, starting to actually acknowledge that they needed to address ISO. And as I looked into it, I discovered that there was at least one part in Duncan Bolt that we had in stock both, as we had the identical part in stock, one as an ISO and one as a DIN. And I thought, wow, this is just going to be so exciting over the next 10 or 20 years. We can have a duplicate inventory. All right? And, and, and from that conversation with a couple of people, we decided that it really made a lot of sense to try and get the word out to people that you need to be aware of this, you need to be conscious of this, and with a little bit of forethought and a little bit of planning, you too can avoid that. You know? So... That's where the beginning of this whole subject came. Vicky had the bright idea of asking the most knowledgeable, the best technical person, and the best resource that we have, Joe Greenslade, if he would like to get away from either the cold of Cleveland or the heat of Houston and come and join us out here, and he agreed to do so. He's the Director of Engineering Technology at the IFI. He is a fantastic resource to all of us and somebody who spends just about all day, every day, fighting to make the world that you live in a little bit safer. With no further uh, BS, Mr. Joe Greenslade. Thank you, Andy. It's uh, a real pleasure to be here. Uh, I always uh, love working on anything that uh, Vicki and Janine put on because they always make it so easy on presenters by having everything taken care of. And uh, if there's ever any uh, hassles, we speakers never even know about it. So it's a real pleasure to work with such professionals. Uh, I'm pleased to be here. Uh, I'm always pleased to talk to uh, Pac West. Uh, in all sincerity, I think you have the most powerful uh, distributor association in the country. You do so many things right, and it's just a pleasure to work with you and help to move you forward uh, in various technical ways. Uh, I became interested in metric fasteners in 1974. How many of you weren't born in 1974? <laughs> uh, 
I was uh, working in at Camcar Textron, and uh, the United States uh, government made a, a proclamation that we were going to be metric in five years. And that caused uh, a great deal of stir throughout all of industry and uh, a great deal of resistance. But um, what I noticed was I worked in the corporate engineering part of CAMCAR, and we had eight divisions at the time. And every time we had a, uh, an inquiry for a metric part, uh, it was pandemonium. Oh, my God. Oh, metric part. Oh, what do we do? Oh, my God. Oh. And uh, so I, I was really puzzled by that. So I was, uh, I was a pretty young fellow at the time, and I went to some of our older engineers, and I said, explain to me about this metric stuff. Well, explain the dilemma to me is that uh, the metric system was very, very old, yet uh, it had developed locally in many different countries, and each country had its own standard. Well, uh, we had a good library, and I went in and... and uh, thumb through uh, various standards that we had. And then I came across something that was the ISO standards. And I read the forward in that, and it went on to say that uh, this was a, an international effort for all of these countries to band together to unify metric fasteners so that they could be used interchangeably around the world. And I thought, wow, that's very cool. Uh, that only makes sense uh, for CAMCAR to adopt a policy that we're going to supply ISO fasteners. So we did that, uh, and what uh, the engineering department took care of making some conversion charts, making it easy. Uh, we made the rule that all uh, conversion was done in, in engineering, and the floor worked in inches, and you just bought the right tools, ran them like you run inch tools, only you're going to some odd inch measurements, and you make parts successfully. Uh, it was a very successful campaign. We talked to salespeople. When someone calls up and says, we need metric parts, they would say, yeah, we got them. We can do it. We'll supply you ISO unless you want something else. And it was a very successful program. I went on to do a lot of different things after that and sort of lost touch with it. But at any rate, that was uh, an awful lot of years ago. And there's still some confusion. Uh, we are, uh, I think there's uh, gaining momentum uh, on the use of metric fasteners, as I sincerely believe there should be. Uh, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about where we started from uh, with this confusion of multiple standards and what those of us that work in standardization are trying to do to narrow that down uh, when in reality we should just have one unified system worldwide. So, uh, this is about uh, metric fastener standards transition. Where are we and where should we be going? The end game. I always like to think about the end. Anybody ever hear of Stephen Covey? Uh, begin with the end in mind. Uh, where do you want to go? Well, uh, it's really obvious to me uh, and as it should be to anyone who sells engineered products, that we should only have one of something. There's only a need for one standard. And we have it within our power to get to that point. We just have to do some planning and uh, a lot of education. I was really thrilled to get this opportunity to speak to you tonight 
Uh, I had uh, worked last year on how we were going to get this ball rolling and uh, had talked with Vicki about it and before I could get something going she called me to do this. So this was a, a perfect opportunity to put this together and start talking about it. But just think about any, any standard. Uh, no matter what else you sell besides fasteners, uh, if you've got any commodity that can be one standard or another, it just confuses things. And in most cases, there's no need for multiple standards. So the end game we should be shooting for is one unified worldwide metric system. Just to give you a quick little history lesson, I looked up some things to, to better acquaint myself with where things came from. Uh, the metric system, uh, the foundation of it was actually established in 1795, right after the French Revolution. Uh, it was uh, later adopted, uh, it was a long time, France was way ahead of everyone else. Uh, it was adopted by Spain in 1849, Italy in uh, 1861, Germany adopted it in 1871 and created the DIN uh, organization in 1917. Uh, in 1947 uh, was the first realization uh, after the Second World War that we needed to uh, create unified standards instead of all this proliferation of standards uh, that existed in, in the metric world. Uh, the UK was a latecomer in 1965. In 1972, uh, ISO started publishing its first uh, formal standards. Before that date, they only published recommend, recommendations and they converted to, to making actual standards. Very interesting, uh, in standardization, it was realized that screw threads were the number one thing that had to be standardized for interchangeability. So the uh, ISO committees are called TC, technical committees, TC number one is screw threads, and TC number two is fasteners. That's how critical fasteners are. You know, you're probably like me. All my life, people have said, uh, what, what, what do you do? I said, well, I, you know, I mess around with fasteners all day, every day, and have for 42 years. And they go, oh, really? Well, I guess somebody has to do that. Well, I always like to say, well, just, just visualize with me for a moment. Let's just say that every fastener in this room evaporated instantly. We'd all be sitting on the floor. The ceiling would be on our head. Uh, the computers and the projectors would be in pieces. So we play a pretty darn important role. Uh, very underappreciated, but very, very important. So, at any rate, uh, I thought that was interesting in studying this history that the first two committees uh, created in ISO were to standardize screw threads and fasteners. Uh, the history here in the United States. Uh, in 1832, we officially uh, created the, the inch-pound system. It was legally adopted. Uh, in 1866, the metric system a law was passed that said you can use metric if you want to. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting that they had to make a law to say that you could use it. But uh, in 1875, uh, there was a proposal that, uh, that the metric system 
be adopted as the standard, and that was rejected. And in 1893, the first definitive definitions of inch-pound parts was created, and guess what? The, in, the, the inch pounds, uh, or the uh, one foot, was defined in meters, and the pound was defined in grams. So really, the unifying me measurement system around the world is metric, but uh, we've been uh, slow to move. Uh, now, in 1975, th this is when Congress passed the uh, Metric Conversion Act, and they said, we want to participate in world trade. Uh, it makes sense to have one unified system throughout the world. It's a good thing to do, uh, and so we're going to make that happen. Uh, as I said, I was working uh, in the faster industry at that time, just getting a good start, and uh, there was a lot of activity and a lot of confusion, and so I, I ended up taking it upon myself to... Uh, to learn all that I could about it, and as I said, I led to some uh, decisions about how CAMCAR would approach metric inquiries after that. Uh, but an interesting thing about we Americans, we said, okay, it's inevitable, we're going to do some, uh, we're going to have to make metric parts, but we're going to make a better metric system. Now, we totally ignored that it had been going on since 1795. And we were going to make it better. If we were going to have to convert, by God, we were going to do it our own way. So we created the Optimum Metric Fastener System. And I'll talk more about that in just a second, what that meant. In 1988, Omnibus Trade and Competitiveness Act was passed that simply encouraged the use of metric design to enhance and facilitate world trade. Now, anybody in here realize that we've had some difficulties uh, over the last five years? You know, and what have we resorted to as a nation to try to take care of, of our uh, lagging economy? We've promoted international trade. And we are now exporting more product than we've ever uh, exported before. And guess what the rest of the world uses? They use metric parts, metric design. If we want to compete in international trade, we have to be conversant in and able to make products correctly to the metric system. So there's a lot at stake. And I think that this is probably going to create much more of an impetus to change than did uh, any mandates of the past, is we all are going to have to be involved in one way or another in international trade. And uh, what has been the, the history of metric fasteners in the U.S.? Uh, Pre-1972, there was really a very small usage of metric product in the United States. And as best I can tell, it was primarily uh, used just as MRO fasteners on... Uh, Equipment made in Europe, primarily German equipment, was uh, among the first that we, we imported in this country. And because it was coming out of Germany, and at that time, uh, Germany was still the leader in uh, industrial things as they are today. And so their DIN system happened to be the uh, strongest and most prevalent system. So 
importers in this country that saw an opportunity. Hey, somebody needs these metric parts, and uh, we can't wait for them to come from overseas, so we're going to start stocking some things. And uh, the DIN system was set up, settled upon because of availability and the equipment it was going into. Uh, in 1972, uh, the first ISO thread and fastener standards were published. Uh, 1974, General Motors and Ford made a, a commitment to metric fasteners. That was the first uh, of the major transition of all vehicles being built in metric. And of course, that was a huge impact uh, on the fastener industry because uh, as Back then and still today, the automotive industry is still the largest consumer of fasteners. Therefore, when they made the change, uh, there was, that was the impetus for going more into metric. But, again, here was some of the thinking that, by golly, if we're going to have to make our cars metric, we're going to make, uh, uh, make them in a system that is better. And uh, the IFI worked with General Motors and Ford and came up with this OMFS, Optimum Metric Fastener System. From 1975 uh, to 2013, we've seen a, glow, uh, a slow but gradually accelerating use uh, and adoption of uh, metric fasteners. Uh, and even through this period, we still have a lot of suppliers recommending when someone wants to change to metric, uh, many of us say, oh, you should use DIN because the major importers are still sticking with DIN. However, the fact of the matter is that the German organization, DIN, withdrew their last metric fastener standard for the common items that we use in, in 2001. It had been a 15-year process from the 80s through 2001. There is no organization standing behind DIN anymore. Nobody up maintains them. Nobody changes them. Uh, they withdrew and put all of their recommendations behind the conversion to the ISO system, which they have been uh, very, very instrumental as a country and participants uh, in the ISO fastener creation uh, ever since its inception. Now, at one point, we had three systems that we were working with in this country. We had the ISO. Uh, we had the DIN, and we had the, this U.S. OMFS uh, standards that were created by ASME, ASTM, I've got a typo there, and uh, SAE. Now, here's some interesting facts about the OMFS and what made it so optimum. Uh, and as I say, and, and this wasn't stated, this is sort of my interpretation, is that if we're going to change, we're going to make it better. Okay, well, that's an, a laudable idea, but when you're talking about standards, it's kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, the, the proposed improvements, and it was all pitched as simplification. We were going to deny the existence of fine threads. They just don't exist, therefore nobody will ever use them again. Secondly, what existed in the other metric standards was M starting with M1.6, but M2, 2.5, 3, 3.5, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, actually 16 
2024, and then it went on from there. Well, <clears throat> the automotive company says, you know, we use a lot of quarter 20s. So we insist on making an M6.3 by one millimeter part to stick right in between M6 and M7. Guess what? It wasn't interchangeable with a quarter 20. It was just different. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was the, the thinking at the time. Uh, there was the introduction of a new go and no-go uh, thread uh, gauge system. There was the introduction of a spline head that was thought it would eventually replace uh, all those old hex parts. And then uh, the decision which we're still struggling with today is change the hex sizes by one millimeter across flats on M10, M12, M14, and M22 by one millimeter. Well, I'm tickled to say that over the last five years, uh, we have managed to withdraw most of the U.S.-created metric standards. Uh, if you go online and Google uh, the ASME, ASTM standards, you will find people that sell the paper standards themselves, but nobody makes or stocks the... Uh, the parts that were made to those standards. Uh, so we have, uh, the, those of us working in standards have gone through and eliminated that part of the confusion. But we're still left with ISO, which has a powerful international organization behind it, uh, working on a steadily, steady basis to keep it up to date. And then we still have DIN hanging on, which has no substance behind it. Uh, in uh, the message that Andy sent out uh, talking about this program and asking uh, anyone that, that had comments, he said, well, what about uh, uh, A325M and A490Ms? Well, uh, those are entirely different commodities. They're designed specifically for the U.S. Uh, structural steel industry, and those won't be touched. They're, they're not uh, the metric... Uh, structural bolts are in no way interchangeable with those that are used in Europe now, and so there is no point in changing that. I had an interesting discussion with a gentleman at our table who uh, has done uh, a considerable amount of machining in his career, and he said he had a big order for uh, some metric products, which is just fine. You can get the taps, you can get the bolts, you can do various things, but the sheet steel that they were specified was to metric thicknesses doesn't exist. You cannot get it in the U.S. You've got to go to Europe and import it if you want metric thickness uh, steel. So there is no impetus whatsoever in the United States in mills to change I-beams and, and all of the structural steel uh, to metric sizes. You don't export buildings. Uh, we make the right products for them to be serviced, and there's really not even any movement uh, toward making uh, structural uh, buildings uh, in metric right now. Now, the interesting thing is you folks in California, you're way ahead of the curve. You've designed the Bay Bridge entirely out of metric parts, and everything that goes on, it's been special. <laughs> so, anyway, and, and that, made it, that made it real cheap. <laughs> 
But at any rate, to answer uh, Andy's question, that's not going to be dealt with. There is an ASME standard for the dimensions called ASME B18.2.6M, and that is specifically designed uh, along the same uh, principles that the inch uh, product art. It is a hard conversion, uh, and as well as the A325M and A490 uh, metallurgically. And uh, but uh, at any rate. That's not going to be messed with. Yeah. About 10 years ago, we started to see it in metal buildings and things like that, where people would say, oh, well, we've got federal money on this project, so it all has to be done in Texas. Really? Okay. But it has to be made in the USA. All right. <laughs> That's still around? I haven't heard that. I haven't run into that. My, most of my exposures with the... Uh, uh, with the Structural steel is with RCSC, and they're building bridges and skyscrapers. So, uh, haven't heard. There are people in the metal business, building business, but uh, in fact, the one of the chief engineers from Butler, and I've never heard him refer to it. And we've had discussions about what I just talked about before. So, anyway, so for those of you who are worried, that's not going to change. Uh, now, what's the difference between DIN and ISO? There. They're absolutely interchangeable. Uh, there's not enough difference between them. To You have a hard time recognizing the difference between the two, except in some very isolated areas. Uh, about 98% of them are essentially identical. But there are a few differences. Uh, in machine screws, uh, there I understand there are some slight head diameter differences, maybe some head heights and uh, uh, the tolerances may be slightly different. Again, completely interchangeable, except if there's something really, really weird, but uh, they, they, uh, you could get caught if you supplied a, a, a DIN part for an ISO requirement, but it's highly unlikely because the major, they overlap for probably 80 or more percent. Where the, the challenge comes in is this one millimeter across flats difference on hex heads and hex nuts in M10, M12, M14, and M22, which again, we're still trying to struggle with and figure out if, what's the best way to, to uh, approach that. And then there's uh, some significant difference on the lengths of dowel pins, which people seem to uh, have a problem with. But uh, those are all things that uh, we need to recognize. Uh, the IFI will be doing some more specific comparisons uh, through these areas and trying to come up with some suggestions and information uh, as to where that may or may not be a problem for you. So where should we go in the future? Stick with what we've done in the past uh, or move forward for the true international standard? Well, as I said, uh, there's a DIN standard. You can buy it. DIN uh, 918, Supplement 3, dated 2001, and it officially withdrew 94 of the most commonly used DIN fastener standards with an with a, uh, equivalency chart for all the ISO fasteners that should be used instead. Uh, that was, I don't know if uh, Vicki sent out uh, one of the articles that I've written a couple of years ago 
but I actually put that chart in its entirety in there so that you can see that. Uh, and as I've said before, there's, just, there's no standards organization any longer standing behind DIN fasteners. Now, uh, Andy said he called a couple of uh, suppliers and said, hey, tell me about DIN versus ISO. And they said, well, we don't see much movement toward ISO. Well, I've been getting these calls for years, and the reason is, well, it, let me tell you what is an interesting dilemma that I have. Uh, I get people calling me, uh, and one just did last week and said, my biggest customer wants to ship internationally. They are changing their biggest product line completely to metric. Should I tell them to go DIN or should I tell them to go ISO? Well, I said, I think the appropriate thing to do is to tell them to go with ISO. It's going to be around forever. It's internationally recognized. Yes? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, well, I'll tell you something interesting about that. Uh, but at any rate, th this is the response, and it needs to change. And uh, I'm working on a campaign to work with those importers and suppliers of the metric parts. Uh, to do that. Now, here's what's interesting. Now, what I'm asking them to do, and some have agreed that they would start moving this way, I don't know if Bussard still does this, but the first catalog I ever got from Bussard many, many years ago, in every category where there was an equivalency, they had the DIN number and the ISO number. They would certify them both ways. 98% of the parts are identical, the suppliers just don't know it. They buy what they've always bought, and they don't realize how closely they are uh, to the same parts. So this equivalency table that, uh, that I, is in the article that we'll, we can certainly supply to you if you didn't get it, shows what they are. And most of these parts can be dual certified if the supplier will just take the uh, effort to do that. Again, the big hang-up thing is on the across flats. However, I think there's some solution to that. Now, does anybody here sell against Fastenal? Oh, really? Well, guess what? They've got an engineering project going on right now to do just what I suggested. So, decide if you want to play along or not, but... Uh, they're they're pretty formidable fastener supplier, and uh, they're in the process of dual identifying uh, their inventory in the near future, and uh, they're going to go after this very significantly. Now, on these hex nuts and hex cap screws, and you'd have to tell me because I don't buy, but in Fasco and Nucor are IFI members, and these come right off of their websites, they both acknowledge that they stock the DIN 931 and 933, which are the, the hex head cap screws, and the equivalent ISO standards. 
4014 and 4017. New course is the same thing. Now, uh, I'm sure if you only want a box of 100, th those solutions probably don't help you, but they're available. They can be had. Uh, and they acknowledge that they exist, and they both say that they, they stock these things. The long-term objective, and just as the lady pointed out, it probably won't be tomorrow, but we need to move in the intellectually and engineeringly correct direction, which is a single unified system that's recognized and used around the world. A lot of it, the end game as I started out, should be one standard. Uh, the part that what you can do is continue to send those inquiries and explain to your suppliers that your customers want these if they're going to deal internationally. I am making a reaching out to all of these major importers and trying to get them to identify this and adopt this strategy. And it's not that we're asking for it to be done in the next 30 days. My suggestion, let's make a five-year plan, let's make a 10-year plan. But overall, I just can't say that, that I think it's the right direction to go to uh, take a new customer and put them into DIN fasteners when, when they're going to ship this stuff around the world. They're probably going to be used in ISO countries. Uh, there's hundreds uh, of the, well, I read an interesting fact when I was getting this uh, information together that uh, there's only three countries in the world that are still more or less committed to inch-pound instead of metric. Uh, that's the United States, uh, Liberia, and, uh, and I'll pronounce it wrong, Miramar, Miramar, uh, and uh, it's about this big. So uh, it's interesting. We've got uh, interesting uh, bedfellows here. But the rest of the countries are members of ISO and are committed to ISO. So if we're going to be importing product around the world, we really ought to think about uh, doing that. So the long-term solution is... Uh, the the midterm solution is something that's very easy, and I would really like for you to help me and encourage your suppliers to do this. Start dual recognizing these. Again, it's not a new thing. It was done 30 years ago by Bossard, uh, and it can be done. Most of the parts are interchangeable, and on the uh, hex across flats, we're just going to accommodate some uh, dual inventories, I, I imagine, in an interim period. But this is not a, an overnight thing. It's a, an eventual project we want to accomplish. Yes, sir. Yeah. Actually, uh, den nuts are notoriously weak and, and can strip under some circumstances, and the ISO standards change that. So there's a slight difference in, uh, in thickness, uh, my, is my understanding, on the ISO versus the den. Structurally, otherwise, though, there's, no. They'll carry the same loads. And ironically, uh, probably, if you look at those DIN certs that you get, the mechanicals on them will be certified to ISO 
uh, 898-1 for bolts and 898-2 for nuts because there is no maintenance of the, the previous DIN mechanical standards. Yeah, it's, well, it's, I think it's principally from the importer side and only because they've always done it this way. A lot of them have been very successful and, you know, it's just inertia is the most powerful force on earth, uh, getting something to move. And uh, so at any rate, uh, when I took this job over uh, five years ago, I had three objectives. Uh, I told IFI I would probably do this for 10 years when I started, uh, when I uh, give up, when I turned 70, and uh, I wanted to increase the uh, presence of the IFI on the Internet and increase the amount of fastener technology information that can be gotten from the Internet. Uh, we're way down the road on that. A number of you are, are subscribers to the IFI Technology Connection which is a response to that objective. Uh, secondly, is I wanted to improve the training availability uh, for the fastener industry. Uh, when I started in this business 42 years ago, I just had to scrape and scrape and scrape to put together bits and pieces to try to learn about this industry. It was really hard. I'm glad I did it, but not many other people did it. And so I felt there should be an organized better way of training people in our industry on technology. I'm glad to say that the, uh, the uh, Fastener Training Institute is, has stepped up so that in a, a very organized, methodical way, we are improving the availability of training and types of training. Uh, I think that's great, and I'm, I'm pleased to be one of the instructors and being able to participate in that. Uh, and then the, the last one was... I want to turn back the clock uh, 40 years to when I first, in 1974, dealt with metric and saw how obvious it was that the United States should be dealing with ISO fasteners. And uh, we're back there again, and I hope to make some headway. Uh, will it be totally converted in another five years? I wouldn't bet on it. But we can certainly make better steps and better strides in that direction which I think eventually will be the benefit of all of us. Any questions? Yes, sir. What about JIS? Uh, what? Oh, JIS. Yeah, JIS, uh, the only places I see it is on Japanese vehicles. And, of course, there are transplant factories now, and they are. Ironically, an awful lot of the JIS standards are based, built right on ISO standards, but there are some differences uh, in... I don't talk about that very much because it's just very, very isolated in terms of its use, and uh, only a Japanese com company is going to uh, try to adopt that. So the, as if you have any knowledge of the transplants, they not only brought their cars, uh, came over here to build their cars, but they brought a lot of their suppliers with them, and that's what they've always used. So there won't, probably won't be much uh, movement there. However, Japan is an ISO uh, committed country, and they're very involved in uh, the standards work that that uh, Salim and I do on a regular basis. Any other questions? Okay, thanks so much again for the invitation.